0: Hey guys, Cards Against Humanity is sponsoring both this episode and the entire Wolf Pop launch. They're so cool they asked us to not even read an ad. Enjoy the show. Here we go, guys. A new era has begun over at Happy, Sad, Confused. Welcome to my podcast. For those of you familiar with the show, welcome back. For new listeners... Welcome to The Fold. This is exciting. So whether you know it or not, the show's the same, but I'm very excited to announce that as of this week's episode, uh, I am now uh, a part of a really cool network of shows. I am such a fan of what the guys over at Earwolf do. Of course, uh, Scott Aukerman and the gang over there um, have made some amazing shows like Comedy Bang Bang and How Did This Get Made? Uh, So imagine my surprise when... The great Mr. Paul Shear, previous guest of Happy, Fused, Confused, uh, hit me up a while back uh, asking for my little show to potentially join his new network of shows over on Wolf Pop. So that's what you're listening to right now. Happy, say Confused is basically now part of the Wolf Pop Network. And what is Wolf Pop? Well, all you need to know is go over to www.wolfpop.com. Check out an amazing roster. I'm really excited to be a part of this amazing gang. Some really talented people talking about movies and TV uh, in a humorous way, in a smart way, in a serious way. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff over there. So go check it out. A whole batch of new shows along Alongside Happy Second Fuse. So my thanks to the whole Wolf Pop team for um, bringing me in. And of course to Paul in particular for um – Being a fan of the show and uh, welcoming me me aboard, Um, I'm getting, I'm getting No, Uh, as for the show itself, nothing's changed here, guys. Still top notch guests week in and week out, and that brings me to this week's guest, who uh, is very much in the news. Uh, This is really cool. Uh, I got a chance to sit down for a long while with Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, What can you say about Neil that you don't already know? Nothing. We know everything about him. That being said. he is, of course, well, A, he's going to be hosting the Oscars next year, which is awesome. This guy was like born for this job. Um, but he's also like killing it right now. He's in Gone Girl um, on the screen right now, in theaters right now. I should mention we talk about Gone Girl towards the end of the conversation. And if you haven't seen it, be wary because there are some spoilers. That doesn't come until very late in the conversation, though. So when you hear Gone Girl... Here, Ben Affleck penis. That's what, that's your cue to tune out. Um, other things to mention. This was a conversation recorded literally days before the announcement that Neil was hosting the Oscars. And it's kind of interesting, actually, because when you hear it, we talk for a while about his past hosting stuff and in particular about his interest in hosting the Oscars. Uh, at that time, he clearly, as you'll hear in the conversation, had not been offered the gig. Um, so it, it doesn't, it's not dated at all, actually. If anything, I think it's more illuminating than ever to hear his thoughts on the, The hurdles you need, you need to pass to host the Oscars well. So I'm kind of actually stoked that that part of the conversation is in there. Um, I should mention Neil was in town and in my office to uh, talk about his new autobiography, which is on the shelves right now. Uh, choose your own autobiography, which is a nice play on those great choose your adventure, choose your own adventure books, which I grew up with. Um, Neil Patrick Harris is, is a great storyteller, a smart guy, funny guy, um, a Jack of all trades, a, you know, he can do it all. He can act, he can be a talk show host. He's a magician. Uh, he can sing, he can dance and he can be a great guest on a podcast like happy, sad, confused. So, uh, without any further ado again, welcome to the new and improved happy, sad, confused. Keep on coming back each and every week. Some amazing guests coming up. I'll just mention it. Cause I know who who's coming up. Uh, Mr. John Stewart, yeah, he's going to be on the show pretty soon. Lisa Kudrow, yeah, that's happening. Hugh Jackman, that's happening. Uh, If you can tell I'm psyched, it's because I am. The show's going great. Some great guests coming up. Uh, As always, hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz, and uh, let me know what you think, who you want to hear. And uh, without any further ado, let's get right to it. Here's a little chat with Neil Patrick Harris.
1: I'm trying to publish a tweet of myself grabbing my testicles.
0: Yeah, no, take your time. This and it just keep <laughs> saying,
1: publishing tweets. And then I don't know if it's gotten gone. It's happened.
0: Is that the uh, the six or the six plus? Where did you go? I got the six plus. I oh, went with the big one. Is it working out for you? Because I'm a little wary. I'm, sca- I'm a little scared. I like of it. it. It's um, it requires a bit more dexterity. Right. Well, you have that. Thanks that you to have your. To now,
1: like. I used to be able with the other phone to just thumb it. Right. But now you kind of have to, like, guitar st- fret string And you can still do it with one hand, here. though. That's
0: a skill, because um, I've heard I'm it's get, a 2 I've
1: gotten good at moving the pinky down as, like, a... You got your tweet up. Oh, I did? Mm-hmm. Okay, good.
0: I got your thing, too. Um, Cancel. Nice. You want to shove off? Shall we just do this thing? Dude, yes, and right? yes again, yes a thousand times. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. Oh, I we have a handful of things. There's a hat full of things. There will be tears, probably mine, maybe yours. Who knows? Like in an erection? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. It's open <laughs> Everybody that's been on the podcast has, has been erect at least for half the time. <laughs> <laughs> the publicist liked it. Yeah, it's He right. <laughs> likes um, any boner jokes. always. <laughs> who doesn't? Is that from Inception? Um, that- I didn't steal it from the set. They sent like me a dozen of those, and that's like, everybody steals one, so I think that's my last one. Those so super. so it's all it. mine. No. No. I need it. Uh, it might go though for the next thirty, forty minutes as long yeah, as we talk. That's I can safe. spin some shit. Um, there is a lot to talk about, Neil. Because um, tell me, um, yes, what the wanna? parameters with which I can speak. You can. Do you like curse save words? Fucking everything. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even gonna bleep it. That's how adult we are here. Okay. You ready for that? That's a yes. <laughs> So that's a stomach response. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, I very much enjoyed the book. By the way, thank you. Uh, Choose Your Own Autobiography uh, is the book. As a uh, a fan of those books, growing up, Cave of Time number mm-hmm. one. Remember that one? That was a who big one. killed Marlo Thromby? Oh my! That's like you're energizing brain activity that has not been called upon for a while.
1: Those are my favorites. I like the ones where it was like a murder mystery, as yeah. opposed to you're in some crazy galaxy right. fighting space aliens, right? Um, but you I re- can't be too discerning in the in no. the context of Choose Your Own Adventures. No, 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 no. Do they still make them? I believe they do. They've changed. It used to be a husband and wife team that wrote them huh. uh, and started the company. And I think they've, ex- they've switched over now. Maybe they're just pro- producers. Got it. And there's other people that write them. I think do- I was a little bit worried, quite candidly, that when... We came up with the idea that the actual Choose Your Own Adventure group would say, no, right. you can't do that. That's all kind of legal. So That's yeah, at ours.
0: What, at what point did you go to them? Was the book already done? Or were you like just in the... No, it was of... when I had met with uh, mm-hmm. our, our book company and
1: went over to them and asked. That was my, I pitched my idea mm-hmm. and they liked it in theory. And then I said, but before we go any further, we need to make sure that that could actually happen. Because I don't want to get... Right. Um, Get a boner about something and then not be able to follow through,
0: right? Um, um, You you did. I mean, you you could have justifiably gone the Drew Barrymore route and done like an autobiography. I feel like at like eighteen or something. I've been asked to write over a couple years, but I just never really knew what to write about. It's it's kind of
1: my downfall creatively at the moment because I'm 41, but I don't feel like I've lived enough of a life to be the guy that's telling people lessons that I've learned. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It just seems... I
0: mean, you've certainly, clearly as evidenced by the book, you've gone through, you've had the iterations, the different, different lives. Well,
1: this is why the Choose Your Own Adventure structure I thought was so fun because I'm not the guy that can write a screenplay and then have overall themes of, like, I really have a bigger, larger story that's eating away that I want to tell. And right. same with the book. So I, I, I had a wonderful childhood with great parents in New Mexico, which was kind of cool and unique, I guess, but not really worth long-form writing. Right. And I've been on lots of interesting professional adventures, but none that were, you know, worth a tell-all or scandalous or... Uh, Something crazy that happened So then this This came on And I thought Oh this is cool I can actually talk about stuff Right Poignant stuff Like Losing my virginity Or Shagging Or Having babies Or Um things that actually happened in my life sure but couch them in a way that if you don't like that story and that's not what you're into reading you just can go right to the next learn a magic trick <laughs> exactly. or if you <laughs> are tired of baby talk you can learn a recipe of right. bolognese sauce
0: or something. <laughs> it's perfect <for our laughs> i like secret, span culture secret right now.
1: pages and everything i just thought it was a good it's a book that's reflective of me in in, in nice ways because i think i'm in a weirdly awesome position to straddle different demographics at the moment because yeah. teenagers you know kids have watched the Smurfs and watch it a lot teenagers have watched the Harold and Kumar when they're high and adults <laughs> have grown up on Doogie and then the 20 somethings you yeah. know are Barney Stinson fans so through all of that I want to make sure that everyone A. buys the book and B. get something out of it
0: where did the Hedwig fans uh, fit into
1: that, that ew uh, <laughs> those people those creeps <laughs> Actually, the Hedwig chapter was kind of an addendum chapter. I was going to say,
0: how did you even get that in there? It was very quick. It we
1: almost ended the run. We almost had to stop the presses because <laughs> it seemed like it needed to be talked about, especially since that, that was a great chapter that actually had a nice conclusion to right. it, which was the, the Tonys Tony. and yeah. winning a Tony and doing that. So it seemed weird to not include it. And that's kind of where we ended it. Yeah. Just past year 40. Yeah. Um, with my wiener tucked
0: between my legs is winning winning a Tony Award. <laughs> As What's <we're> next? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like the light is changing in this room. Do you sense that too? Am I having I, a stroke? You might
1: be just having a stroke. Okay. Do you taste metal?
0: I can't move my right Pennies. side. Is that a bad, bad sign? I'm not dr- a doctor.
1: You're drooling. I thought that that was affection. <laughs>
0: no, I ju- I'm just a big fan of the book and I tend to drool when I get excited. <laughs> Oh, you have a great um, collaborator on
1: this too, David. Uh, David Javerbaum. Right. David Javerbaum is so funny, and I first met him as a, a, a he was pitching ideas for musical opening numbers for the Tony Awards, and we had uh, he had done Cry Baby the musical uh, with Adam Schlesinger his his cohort in Musical Crime. And so we sat and met and he had some weird ideas. <laughs>
0: Because that's the best comedic minds you have to rein them in like half a step
1: agreed, but when you're sitting at a Tony opening number lunch, you're having to really think as a producer right and think as your demographic being wide and thinking you want to do something mainstream respectful because it's an award show and that honors the Broadway season and so his pitches were so daily show they were very dark and acerbic. He wanted to do one called I'm, I'm Doing It Drunk Which was the title I'm Doing It Drunk Was like the, the conceit being I've, I've done these shows enough That I don't even need oh, to I be see. sober I'm singing I'm doing it drunk So that the whole song was drunk I was like Yeah but DJ that, That's it Like, that might offend people. That's a weird way to start to show.
0: Also a challenging move to to drink. I mean, to uh, sing, rather, in a drunk voice. To
1: slur, maybe, as a comedy bit. But then you're (laughs) starting the show, letting everyone know that you're so, quote-unquote, good at this, that you can do it drunk, which might be conceited. That's how my mind has to think. So then his next pitch was, what about one called, It's Not Just For Gays Anymore? the whole conceit is that since you're you, you, you you're encouraging the breeders to come to the theaters. And I thought <laughs> I thought, well, that's funny, but there's no way that the people from the Tony committee, the theater wing, the theater League would never allow that. But it was kind of a fun idea. It kind of right. stuck with me. And so sure enough, uh, it was the same year as Book of Mormon, right. which was very blue. And had lots of naughtiness to it, and was probably going to sweep. And so they were allowing a darker sense of humor, and that ended up happening. And DG was hilarious, and I think won an Emmy for it. And um, and then he became my co-writer on this because I he can t- take my really average stories with like like bullet point plot points right. about things we did in Costa Rica. We went whitewater rafting. We drank, you know alcoholic beverage david nearly broke his neck and then dj could turn it into some hilarious sure. anecdotal story
0: you, you mentioned like the award show thing i mean do you, has this covered like the way you watch award shows now considering your your tenure at uh, you know tony's emmy's etc do you watch when hugh gets his turn back at that etc. totally with a critical eye
1: with a well, not critical eye, like a like a judgy guy, like I would never do it that <laughs> way. Down, like was, the gladiator from my living room. No, but I I marvel at how difficult that skill set is because um, you have to be juggling so many plates at the same time. Yeah, you have all these bits that you've just come up with with a team of writers. You've plugged them into different spots. You have a big opening number. You hope that people kind of don't show up to win awards because it gives you more time to <laughs> <That's> finagle. Because <amazing. laughs> when someone, because oftentimes right. people don't read their teleprompter bit as the intro, they go on and do their own little joke. And when they, that happens four times, you're suddenly six minutes over for and sure. that's a lot for an award show. Uh, so then you're like, you're having to cut bits and figure out, like, I won't do that intro, I'll just come right out. You're basically so,
0: a rooting for Maggie Smith to win every award because she's never anywhere. <laughs>
1: Where is Maggie? Yeah, you're happy when who is an amazing actress that won for Nurse Jackie?
0: Oh, what? Not Edie Falco?
1: No the 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 younger nurse. She won for supporting actress in the uh, in a show, and she just came out and said and blanked. Oh, of course, yes, yeah, And yeah. then she's she literally
0: walked off. That was amazing, <laughs> amazing in every way, especially
1: for us producers who are backstage. Like we
0: gained two minutes. That's a win in every scenario. Best speech or nonsense. Merritt Weaver. Merritt
1: Weaver. God, how do you forget that name? Uh, that was awesome. So, yes, I watch it and 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 sympathize, but it's also fun to see like to see other people's takes on stuff. Yeah, I thought Seth. Myers did a great job on the Emmys this last year. Yeah, He's got the class level, he's got the jokes, his opening... No- you know, that It's nice to see an opening number that doesn't have to be a big song and dance thing. Because right. that often crashes and burns. So it's nice to see him come out and do strong comedy that was poignant and not too mean. It was just right in the pocket. And I think that turned into a really good, a good Emmys.
0: Well, you have to play into your skill set. That's obviously not Seth. Seth is... is- what is
1: but there could be innate comedy in that no, doing you're totally a, right. seth yeah, yeah. myers doing a big opening <laughs> number where he's there's showgirls everywhere there's something right. kind of funny in that too
0: is there do you ever think about because i'm sure i know you're probably asked all the time okay well, what about or do you want to do the oscars one day etc like do you do you think about the hosting portion Wait. of your life as, a, as like kind of a thing that you can do too much of or is it something that will always be like oh look if every couple of years i do a, a tonys or emmys or an oscars or a globes that's a great kind of side gig. Do you know what
1: I mean? Like, I know exactly what you mean, and it's it's a tricky thing to answer because if you talk too much about your desire to host award shows, it sounds like you're pitching yourself for the job. Right. Um, but if you poo-poo it, it you and mean, say you're not interested in it, it sounds like you're d- being disrespectful for the jobs. And it's a weird job that you don't audition for or pitch yourself for uh, a team of producers or a group of Academy people decide who they want and then they go to them and it's a very quiet hush, hush phone call and you get it one day or you find out months later that someone else said yes to the job. So,
0: uh, it kind of is what it is. No, you don't get like an Oscar thing. Like, Hey, Mm -mm. what are you doing next March 2nd or something? Mm -mm. Just in case.
1: Not at all. I I haven't, I can't speak to what other people have done, but I mean, the Oscars is the one that I haven't done. So in, in, in one way, I think it would be bucket listy fun to be able to accomplish it, and yet it is such a massive machine with billions of eyes and dollars behind it that you find yourself, at least having observed people who produced it, Adam Shankman produced it for a couple years, so I got to observe and kind of be a part of it for one of those. I opened the show when Steve Martin and and, uh, Alec Baldwin Baldwin hosted. And then and then you know how many massive big time Hollywood producers are involved and they need it to be respectful and so they won't want their clients or you know, who are A-list actors to be saying things that might get them in hot water so it all kind of distills down sure. into something that's much more vanilla than you would want it to be I'm not saying that the Oscars are vanilla but it's just
0: it's dang- more dangerous room. more dangerous it's not and everyone's it's not not notorious for a sense of humor about his films
1: <laughs> <laughs> and publicists are stressed yeah. and everyone's in these tight tight gowns because it's that That's a big deal and so they can't breathe and there's you know and it's very strange so to do it would be amazing but it's a really hard thing I think to win over I think really like only Billy Crystal has had a lock on being classy and yet relaxed at the same time and it
0: feels like more than any other one it feels like everyone is just geared to the next day just shitting on the host no matter what even in the yeah. times where i've actually liked it like i was one of those few that like letterman was funny i, I liked a lot of the stuff he did but, but like the folklore now is he's the worst host ever it's crazy it's
1: hard but it's innate i do it when i'm not yeah. having to be there i invite friends over and we make chili con queso and we sit there and have our little things that we filled out and five dollars plopped on the coffee table and we say really that's what they came up with or really she didn't think to learn her lines or that's what she's wearing I mean that's kind of why you watch those shows it's not because you've seen all the movies and you're cheering for your best friends it's because you want to see like what randomness happens right so.
0: was was your first experience bringing it back to the events of both your life and the book um, yeah you were you were nominated for Clarice Hart way back when I was
1: or... for a Golden Globe
0: what do you remember of that ceremony besides losing to the jerk face that is Martin Lando <laughs>
1: I was so and am still very starstruck. I'm not good with knowing at what point you as someone who is an actor has the carte blanche right to walk up to someone else who's an actor who you may not have ever met and just start shooting the shit with them. Right. And I've been working for a long time In a lot of different mediums But I just still feel weird We were just I'm looking back at Shay, My publicist Who's a good friend And he's in this room We were just at the Gone Girl Premiere event at, uh, It opened the New York Film Festival And we're in the green room And there are certain people from Gone Girl That I never acted with That I never really interacted with at all And I'm in the movie I'm in the same movie as them And I'm still like I don't know I'm not going to talk What am I going to say What am I going to say to them <laughs> And she said, "Don't no, go talk to them, because you're can. Are allowed to go talk to them.
0: So I have get a badge that says, I was in Gone Girl. I was your coaster in Gone Girl, even though we didn't share a scene.
1: <laughs> That's just not my, I'm not good at that kind of party small talk. Yeah. I just get, I'm uncomfortable around it. So I'm not good at going up to someone and, hey, how are you? What's going on? Right. What are you working on? <laughs> yeah, me? For the, for the How's record, the family? with
0: his hands that are very uncomfortable like right guns, now. The like guns, I'm like I'm the
1: gunslinger move. <laughs> hey, what's up? That might be part of your problem. And here's another weird problem. Sometimes I see people at events, and I and I think, oh, they they look like a nice person, and then hours go by before I realize that I've worked with them. Right. Because I've had lots of weird little chapters that kind of squish together as I do other interesting chapters. Then that one little chapter. So I saw Bo Bridges at a, a, a boxing event in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was for Showtime And Bo was in a thing And, and we're eating dinner With um, with friends And in walks Bo Bridges and his wife And we see each other from across the room And I think Look at that Bo Bridges He's a great actor Good guy I bet he's a good guy And we give each other kind of the nod He sits down We keep eating Not until dessert Did I realize that I directed Bo Bridges what? In an episode of The Goodwin Games Which was uh, Carter Bay's Craig Thomas production uh, Where I sat for three days In a director's chair Next to the man Sharing stories about children and family and parenthood and huh. life, and then I'm so I think, oh, that that's even w- another reason to not go up to people and say hello because I'll say, are you are you married? And they're like, yes, we went to Hawaii together five years ago. Dumbass. Did
0: you cut the chapter where you did the hard drugs that eliminated portions of your brain? What I don't
1: happened? know what it is. I don't know what that well, is. You've I think, a lot in there to be fair. So I think my mind treats a lot of these in a protective Kind of way, yeah. being weird, weirdly serious for a second. Um, I don't end up getting. I intentionally don't get too close to the people that I'm working with in a job because I know that we're only really together for the job, and that as soon as the job ends and right. dissolves, then most of the friendships don't dissolve because you don't like each other anymore, but because you're going to do other jobs sure. and you're meeting other people, and your time is spent there. So because I had quote unquote friendships when I was younger that just kind of dissolved, I think maybe protection wise. I'm less inclined to have lasting yeah. uh, depth to my conversations and stuff with people, which sounds
0: really shallow. But um, so, so it does. So, it, yeah, that sounds like it would naturally be informed by early, early experiences. So, do you, what do you, what do you? I mean, do you remember that? Was that kind of a flip side to the fun of those early gigs, where it was like a rude awakening? It must be a rude awakening for a kid too, who's mm. also still just trying to like be liked by everybody. Where it's like, wait. Where'd you go? (laughs) I didn't have, I've heard a lot of like quote unquote child actors
1: talk about feeling like being on set was their real family, that their actual family was not so successful. And so when they'd come to set and were welcomed and got whatever they wanted, that 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 felt like their actual family. So when the show ended, they felt lost. Thankfully that didn't happen. My family's amazing. Ron and Sheila, my parents still married my brother, Brian, everyone's super cool. And being on set of a Stephen Botchko show very much felt like work. So he was very clear that I'm a kid in an adult environment and had to work hard. So I, if anything, just had to keep sort of stepping up to an adult plate. Um, but yeah, those, those initial things are just probably seared into my memory more yeah. as, as new things come along.
0: So when you started Doogie Howser, was it what you were like, what, 15, 16, something
1: like that? The, I filmed a pilot. Uh, when I was just about to turn sixteen. So fifteen and then into yeah. sixteen, yeah.
0: So if I met you like at whatever the height was, at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. How were you a dick? How big like would, would I have found you to be like how Justin Bieberish were you at the time? ah, <laughs> I'd um I'd like to think that I
1: wasn't a dick. <laughs> My voice was like really high, like when I see myself and I And I think maybe uh to protect myself even more, so that my s's didn't sound sibilant because I was worried that if I talk like this, it would be just not very a little too, I don't know, something. Too everything. So my s's, my s's became s h's. Okay. So I would share all my, you know, like if you see like old footage of me on Johnny Carson or something, I'm mean, all my s's are s h's, and I sure talk like this, it's like
0: Sean Connery on helium. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly.
1: <laughs> that's exactly what I sounded like. <laughs> But no, I think it was a weird time back then. If you were on a TV show, it was very different from being in the movies, and uh, and the young Hollywood. You know that was very River Phoenix time. Like I was, I had a fake ID and was going to those clubs when River passed away. When the Viper Room was like a sure. big giant deal, uh, I wasn't didn't travel in those circles because I was a little bit younger. But that was that time. Yeah. So it was Shannon Doherty at
0: most dordish
1: roxbury <laughs> where like the bartender was madonna's hispanic fiance for a time right. and so that was all just very weird it was very clicky and you had to have you had to know the bouncer personally and there was a massive clusterfuck of 75 people trying to get the bouncer's attention but if you thought you were someone you could like go to the side and try and catch someone's eye and if they it's if crazy. they pointed yeah. at you you got in for free but if for whatever reason they were assholes and didn't want to let you in right. then you just got ignored so every night you'd have that horrible like am I gonna be welcomed or shunned and so you'd kind of
0: sneak your way up and hope that they liked you i don't know that was it's so reassuring in some way that like weird. even at every level weird. it's like no matter where you are, you're at there are three levels above you well and that's
1: la that's to me what la is i've as, as in all my years that's what i've learned is that no matter where there's you always are another back
0: room you can't that, get into
1: that's exactly right <laughs> that's exactly right you can finally get in you queue up and you hope you can get into the fancy trendy bar and then once you get in you there's no tables it's too crowded and there's a Those are reserved tables. And if you finally get a reserved table, you see like this, yeah, there's like a rope in the back with another guy. And you're like, well, what's in that room? And then you finally get in that room. That's like the VIP room, right? But then you can go to the manager's office if you're like, no, the owner of the place. So there's all these levels that you can't really achieve. Plus it's deafeningly loud in LA (laughs) at all those bars, which makes me sound like an old curmudgeon (laughs) man. But I wonder why people go out the same, I found myself around the same 75 people as the night before, and we'll be at this, the next place the night, next night, right. w- screaming at them. <laughs> the most inane conversation you could imagine.
0: One of the things I, I loved, uh, what discovering, up? <laughs> uh, loved <laughs> discovering was that one of your compatriots back in then was uh, Stephen Dorff.
1: Stephen Dorff was, he epitomized the young Hollywood vibe. Exactly. He, was, he was glamorous. He had a convertible. <laughs> he had gel in his hair. I was infatuated with little Steven Dorf. He was like my best friend for a long time, yeah. and uh, and he knew everyone. and He was really good. He would talk about himself in the third person. Oh, that's so good. Uh, it was very effective in some ways. <laughs> and he, so he, he would. I'd be sort of in, in the wake of Steven Dorf as he, as he would go through the crowd because he was always able to get the table or the girl or the.
0: Are, are you still in touch? Because I feel like he still has that air about him. Even the, the recent years I've talked to him, no matter what star rising or falling, wherever he, what strata he's in today, I feel like there's still the air of the dwarf about him.
1: <laughs> that would be a good cologne the that he, he Dor- should market. Yeah. Oh, d- oh, the air of the dwarf. <laughs> um, I haven't seen him in a while He's kind of got a Mickey Rourke thing around him, you know? He's kind of got the broody. uh,
0: I think my favorite picture in the book is of you two with (laughs) the the Dick Tracy T-shirts, which I totally remember. Do you you even remember what you were wearing? We were at Century
1: City Mall, and we were in line queued up to see the 1201 uh, Dick Tracy
0: And I remember that. That was the admission. That was the ticket,
1: was the the T-shirt. was the T-shirt. So good. Crazy. (laughs) figures. It was all right. (laughs) But yeah, without Stephen Dorff, I wouldn't have gotten to experience a lot of
0: quote-unquote, you know, L.A. nightlife. That's a good guide to have way back when. Yeah, it was good times. All right, guys, time for a quick break from the podcast. Just to mention that you should really head over to WolfPop.com to check out all the amazing shows being offered there right now, including Matt Gorley's new show, I Was There Too. You know Matt, of course, from shows like Super Ego and Drunk History and James Bonding. Well, this is a great idea for a great new show. If you're like Matt, Then you know all the classic movie and television scenes so well, it's as if you were probably in the room when they happened, right? Well, you weren't, sadly. And neither was he, sadly. But the good news, folks, is Matt interviews the people that were there. So on this show, you're going to listen as they tell the -the fly-on-the-wall perspective you've never heard from. The inside stories about how movies and television history was made straight from the folks that were there. Don't miss I Was There Too with Matt Gorley. Brand new episode right now available to download today over at WolfPop.com. Um, the, the period, I love how you like address also kind of like in the book, the, um, like the bevy of TV movies that you (laughs) did, (laughs) because uh, frankly, it sounds like some of them uh, to go back to the memory thing, like barely even register at this point, just because of how many you did or I did a bunch. It was, I was, it was a
1: fortuitous time. If anything, I I think the made for TV movie, it goes in cycles. And now that there's way more channels and a lot more content, I think they've just the idea of them has been folded into good television shows. Right. But back then, you know, ripped from the headline stories turned into TV movies. And when you do a TV movie and it gets a lot of high ratings for whatever reason, then you're on the short list to do more of those. And so once a year, I would get paid heartily mm-hmm. to go to Vancouver for three and a half weeks and meet the guy that I'm playing who murdered his parents <laughs> <laughs> and then go so, like with you? film said scene. So in a weird way, it was nice. It was, I didn't have to jump onto another yeah. TV show. I could do my research, you know, and there were varied, various types of them. There were the slashery, right. which of the nice God-fearing sons actually hacked up their parents. Or it was a Hallmark Hall of Fame kind of Christmas movie where um, you were the sweet, Complicated attorney that comes back to the small town where he grew up to realize that he needs to reevaluate his life ideas. I call that the dark Hollywood. The dark <laughs> Hollywood. <Virgin. laughs> See, they do it in the movies. They do it in the movies. So I loved that I was able to do them. Um, and it certainly uh, uh, paid for me to exist without needing to go get a job at a coffee shop. Yeah, um, but did, yeah, did, fun a fun thing to write in the book, and and DJ came up with that conceit that like, why don't we do
0: a list of your TV movies, and we'll include some that didn't really happen, yeah. and the, which the reader can try and figure. Pretty out plausible, so most of them. Yeah. Did um, at the same time, it sounds like it was like a good, you know, financially and good to keep you busy without being too busy. Was that like if there is a fallow period, a period where you're frustrated for whatever reason, is that the time because it feels like again, to go back to like these iterations, like mm. you've kind of consistently remade yourself. Or been remade, thanks to happenstance. Mm. Is that the period that, that, if I had to pinpoint the the dark time,
1: <laughs> probably I I found that I think my own desire to rid myself of previous roles ate away at me more than other than than I thought than people actually cared, right? So I I I think that I carried it around. Um, as baggage therefore when I would audition for things uh, and I was looking at this casting director thinking as I'm auditioning they're not going to hire me because they just think that I'm this actor from this TV show and so therefore I probably didn't give the greatest audition which then becomes a vicious circle because I don't get the job and then it validates that that's what happened and so during that chunk of time when I was auditioning and not getting gigs and every year or twice a year getting some great random phone call hey you want to go to toronto and have sex with ann archer okay (laughs) um then i was a little bit frustrated that waiting for the next chapter to pass right and Stephen bochko i mentioned this and i've mentioned it before but mr bochko when i first started doogie sat me with my parents down at a restaurant on pico boulevard and he said he gave this metaphor about surfing and that uh, you're going to take this wave and it's going to be great and it'll be super fun and you'll have to be adventurous and it'll inevitably crash onto the sand and you will have to decide whether you want to get back on the board and paddle back out. And in doing so know that you're going to get hit by waves as you paddle back out and it'll be a hard time. And then by the time you get out to catch a wave, you're going to have to sit on your board with no waves coming for a while. But the way the business works and the way life works is that, there will always be more waves to catch. And sometimes you'll get nailed by them, but sometimes you'll catch new waves. And that really stuck with me. I liked the idea of longevity. Sure. that, And I liked his perspective that this is going to be fun, but it will end. And that was nice to hear at the beginning of that chapter. So I knew that time needed to pass, and I looked at people like um, Sally Field and uh, Billy Crystal, Ron Howard, people that were able to reinvent themselves. But it takes time. Yeah. You know, if you're known as the flying nun, it takes time to become Gidget and then it takes a lot longer time to then become something else. Right. So it was around the TV movie time that I thought, why don't I just move back to New Mexico? Cause I'm kind of just in a groundhog day right. of self imposed depression mixed with You know, lots of pot (laughs) (laughs) and then just hanging out with my friends and going out at night and waking up late and eating lunch somewhere interesting and then watching TV and then going out late again. And it just seemed like it was um, fine for now. But what's this actually lead to accomplishing very little? I wasn't a heavy drug user, so it wasn't leading towards, you know, an addiction where I needed to go to rehab or something like that, thankfully. But so I moved back to New Mexico and stayed there. With friends, which was nice, it, uh, cleared the head in in lots of different ways. I was able to spend my days on dirt roads, like hiking to mountains and you know, actually seeing rock climbing and yeah. belaying. My friends is you know, I mean like living. A life that I'm choosing as opposed to living this weirdly self-imposed prison life where I'm just mad that I'm not somebody else, which LA can sort of turn you into that sometimes.
0: It sounds like in reading and just looking at whatever the narrative of your life that also the theater work and the the exciting roles that you started to get there really, that's like, that's a whole new, just pantheon of roles you get to explore.
1: And it was exactly during that time when that happened that I got a call from Bo Chute, who was um, then my agent and became my manager, saying that would I ever want to do Shakespeare. And I had just done Rent, where I was Mark in the second national tour of Rent, which was super fun and edgy, and I loved the show, and I knew it really well. But I, I thought I'd get to do Rent, and from Rent would come movie offers. And, and I'd be reinvented. And, uh, you know, life doesn't really work like that. So I was back in New Mexico, and then I got this call, would I want to be do Shakespeare? And I'd never been to college. I'd never studied Shakespeare. I'd seen Shakespeare. Um, but Dan Sullivan, one of the preeminent directors in New York to this day, um, was doing Romeo and Juliet at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego and wanted me to be Romeo. And that was a massive change for me. Because I realized that I had to put my money where my mouth was, kind of. That I couldn't bitch about wanting to be taken seriously as an actor, with quotes around it, if I can't act. Yeah. So I said yes, nervously, and got to work with a guy named Dakin Matthews, who is an amazing Shakespearean actor. He works all the time. And he came over as a dramaturge. Dramaturge? And he, we went through the whole text, and he taught me everything about the role in the show and why Shakespeare did what he did. And it was incredible what Shakespeare accomplishes in a line, and what actors can spend the time that actors can spend learning just how to read a line. Sure, not even in a right way, but just in in an interesting way, um, was very informative. So I got to do that and be terrified and do Romeo in Romeo and Juliet in an outdoor, you know. Amphitheater kind of vibe to good response. It was a really good production, so that made me feel like I could actually act, and and sort of fueled me to want to do more of it. Well, and as
0: you say, so much of it is in your head too when you're in that audition room. And to oh,
1: it's the worst. It's worse than the other end too. I'm, you know, I I direct things now, and so uh, as well. So I'm able to sit in a, a casting room, and all you want are for people to come in with casual confidence right. and have a take. But if they don't get it. It's, they're not going to slip their wrists over it right? and you meet in turn so many people who come in you just feel the tension you feel tension it, yeah. bug-eyed sweat clammy <laughs> self-deprecating like hyperventilating and you're just like I just calm it down just it's okay I yeah. just want you to be okay <laughs> and that was me for a little while
0: some of the, the theatrical experiences you detail in the book are are, are, are wonderfully entertaining i uh you, you do kind of name names in a way for instance uh the Anne hache uh, um,
1: h like the letter h is
0: it mm-hmm. h mm-hmm. okay that's good to know for the future thank you yeah um was this where was Anne in her was this post celestia uh, post her kind of was yeah it was want to call that?
1: she had gone through some personal stuff she'd yeah. come out with her own book Um, And she had been gotten married and had a kid uh, to a a lovely guy named Coley and was in like a great phase of reinvention and wanted to. um, I just heard that they were casting for proof and I had seen proof. And when I had seen that show, I thought that's a role that I could do well, which was how, because I'm I'm fast with the smart speak sometimes. (laughs) and so I thought I could wrap my brain around it and so when they were recasting it I wanted to audition badly and then I heard that they were going to go to Anne H for it which I thought, oh that's interesting based on her life recently Sure. but I think she's a bit older than I am so that probably won't work out and it turns out we have the same agent had the same agent at the time a guy named Steve Dottenville, who was amazing and um, he said I think I can make it work and he sent Dan Sullivan who was directing that as well um, small World a video of Anne auditioning for a movie very recently where she was made herself look younger and they thought okay, well then that could work so we got hired and it was very interesting it was very interesting to watch uh, Anne uh, take ownership of a role on Broadway where there's a lot of repetition having been not really trained in the idea of repetition yeah. what she's good at and um, amazing at as an actor is being so kinetic yeah, in every in take. And yeah, and knowing that every in every take she's going to do something different so that the editor has all these different choices, which is great. On stage, uh, uh, it was more complicated because it was always different. It was hard to find a sense of what was r- really happening. So we t- I talk a little bit about that in the book. So
0: did you talk to her like in the production <laughs> like in between performances being like you're, I, what you're doing is really interesting but it's making my life hell. Like, I mean, I mean, what's the etiquette in a theatrical production when, so, when your co-star is kind of fucking with your own performance in a way?
1: Theater thankfully doesn't work that way. It is a you know, it's it's alchemy, and so she was the lead in the show, and so you had to deal with yeah. with what she brought to the table, and in point of fact, she got great reviews when people people went and saw her and loved her performance because you kind of didn't know what what you were going to get um the only drawback was that when you were acting and having to fall in love with her on a nightly basis sometimes it was very easy and sometimes it was much more complicated and more difficult and so um what you know you can't what am i supposed to say to her like please do it the same way every show that's kind of robotic and and prickish in my own right so i would vent about it to friends uh, but but otherwise i just tried and it, i it just got frustrating to me as her suitor <laughs> as her professional suitor to fall in love with her uh when sometimes she wouldn't in, in, in intentionally make choices to shake herself up right. and in doing so Made very little sense to someone who was trying to be amorous, and so when they extended and kept going for, I think, another six weeks or something, I just opted out because I, I was, it was spinning me for a bit of a curve.
0: I mean, in talking to you now, like obviously the the guy sitting here today, like what I get a sense of is that like you're very comfortable like where you're at in your own skin and and sort of able to kind of make the choices you are and and look back with humor about sort of when you were maybe tighter and bottled up and Mm -hmm. had more self doubt. I mean, how much, for instance, like Obviously, the, when you made the decision to come out, which wasn't totally your own decision right. at the time, right. I mean, does that inform sort of where you're at today? Would you be able to have done Hedwig with the confidence, for instance, that you just had on, on Broadway if you were still not public about your sexuality? Is there any? Do you see any connection between that decision and the ease at which you can tackle all these things today? Sure, uh, there's definitely a connection. I don't think it's as clean as like
1: one's you know one from one to the other, but I think as one gets older, all of their little life experiences, whether they're net positives or end up being emotionally detrimental, redefine how you look at things and how who, how you evaluate your current decisions. So bigger moves like coming out publicly or, moving away from the city to make a big move like I think big boy moves always sort of reinform who you are and i and i've been insistent in my life about having some transparency and taking ownership of how i process information right i like to read reviews and i like to read what people are saying on twitter and what is happening in the world so that I can be. I can be aware of how the pendulum is shifting, whether Kanye West is favorable mm-hmm. or do we not or hate him so much. Right yeah, Exactly. <laughs> not like I'm a, a lemming and I'm no, just going to do what everyone's saying, but I'm aware of that as an actor and as a person. I just want to. Um, I would rather have the information and take it upon myself to process information, yeah. as opposed to be insecure that. That I'm gonna read something that's gonna upset me, and therefore don't don't read it. And read things. I don't know. Like I, people don't read reviews, and I can I totally understand why you wouldn't want a review to read a review because yeah. if you read something that. Uh, is insulting and specific. You're gonna obsess on so it, dwell yeah. on it, yeah, yeah. and then. Uh, but the other side of the coin is, if someone says something glowing and says that you're the second coming of theater, you're gonna think that's true, maybe, and then true. that'll affect your performance too. So I want to not do either of those, but I want to be aware of kind of what's being said, and then figure out how to how to process it. Do, so do you f- that was a weird uh, a, a tangent thing to say about your question. That's okay. Well, this is a tangential conversation. That's but what was your thing. question? Because it I guess was leading was, towards... Was, 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 was oh, try- coming out yeah, a- effective in, to the career? Yeah.
0: And in terms of kind of being transparent and being open and being comfortable, and you probably were comfortable with, with yourself, This you know, even not coming out publicly, but like does is there a connection where, again, the guy I see today is so kind of like, you know who you are, you know, like your skills, um, it, does that kind of inform... I don't know, like where where you sit today in terms of like being open to trying shit out. what well, that might have been a I scary guess. way back when. Sure, I,
1: I I have two ways to answer that. I went to a. I've been through a fair amount of sort of therapy, whether it be with like a therapist one-on-one in LA or when I was younger, I did the Tony Robbins thing and I did the thing called the Forum, which is like larger group Mm -hmm. therapy where you go to a place and are sort of immersed in trying to figure your shit out. And through that, I I've grown, I think, and learned to not be mired by things that have happened in my past and have them affect how I'm processing. And I think allowed me to be a little bit more open and stand tall and proud and certainly the coming out thing which could have been detrimental wasn't and i think uh was was weirdly helpful in some ways but more so i pride myself on having a career where i get to reinvent and rechallenge myself and thankfully uh audiences are kind of buying it like yeah. they'll play along and i you know it forces you to come up with a new skill set because TV's super different from theater super different from movies super different from hosting um from writing from directing they're all different skills and so that's fun as someone who likes to work just to challenge myself with trying something different but i love that i'm in a weird position akin to the choose your own adventure book that i'm doing where you can sort of go along the ride with me and, and yeah. maybe be a bit of a tastemaker and you can trust that like if I'm a part of that that therefore it might have some merit and try and execute things well. So that's been unique to me. That's what my, uh, that people have have been enthusiastic about is it my agents who would normally say, you should probably not do this gig if right. you want to do movies. Right. Now they say to me, go do that gig and then go do a movie it seems like that doesn't seem to face you
0: (laughs) which i love and part of the coolness is also obviously just happenstance of the times we live in where like you can you can host a show you can be what president of the magic castle you can
1: within one year i was the president of the magic castle i hosted the emmys i was barney stinson i was foy in million ways to die in the west i was desi and gone girl and hedvig in a twelve-month period, which was a lot of different hats, and I loved it. Like who else? Who else? When else? It's been a, a fantastic wave to ride.
0: Do you feel uh, jealous that I feel like Affleck got more attention for the penis exposure than you did in Gone Girl? <sighs> Here's the thing about the penis. <laughs> and I uh, feel complicit in this because I asked Ben about it, and it got a lot of attention. It's and I feel, been. And I, I it's want to been talked. To
1: Oh, don't. Listen, he was in a a warm, steamy shower. He was. Standing upright. Right. Gravity was his friend, <laughs> and as was the humidity. I'm just saying it makes a difference. I was was actively, it was post-orgasm. Right. I was actively losing blood flow <laughs> through by another. Way, spo- by the <laughs> way, spoiler alert. <laughs> Might be too. Early. I'm not going to really do it too much. Through, I was actively losing blood flow to a, from a different organ, and so I think the results are honest and candid yeah. and speak for themselves.
0: Fair enough. You feel better?
1: I, I, I'm just because I read all the information. I'm just still wary of when I when I Google my name and see like a horrible screenshot of my wiener. <laughs>
0: well, it's probably also, I always love the thing, the auto, the auto um, additional name. Like if you put in Neil Patrick Harris, like what the next word is that comes up.
1: And what is it now? I don't
0: know. We should check it out. I don't, I don't think I have uh, internet here, but I bet penis is up there.
1: I hope it's cock and not penis. Do you oh, know what I mean? Just in, just in just generally speaking. Why
0: is that? A, what's the connotation penis, of cock versus penis?
1: Penis sounds so clinical. Like, clinical. Okay. You're, cock sounds very man. impressive. Yeah. No. Okay. You, you said it, not me. <laughs>
0: Ending on a classy note. Um, before we go, though, you, you alluded in the beginning, I do have that weird Indiana Jones fedora. It's filled with a few random questions. Mm. Uh, don't get too excited. Why? I love games. Um, yeah, we haven't even proselytized the, the magic. Uh, are you, I mean, this, you're like the chief, like, I don't even know what to term you.
1: I do it. magic wherever. You want to see a trick? Yeah. Here, look. Okay, see this deck of cards? Uh-huh. Here, pick one. Okay. Okay, Don't let don't let me see it. Okay. Okay, just think about the card in your mind.
0: Got
1: it. I'm going to take the deck. I'm going to now cut it into two different decks. This
0: is going to take about 15 minutes, guys, just so you know.
1: And then, okay, so that's done. Now I'm going to cut this deck into four different decks. I want you to place your card on any one of those four decks. Got it. Okay, now I'm going to put the <laughs> other decks together. And now I'm going shuffle to the, shuffle the deck. No, I, won't even shuffle, shuffle. I, I was, won't even I was, shuffle it. I won't even shuffle it. I'll just put it, put it back in my pocket. Uh, I want you to think, was your card the seven of hearts? What the f... Thank you. Thank you very much. I do magic sometimes. I'm magish. I'm magish as a verb. Wait, did you just, did you skip the ma? What did you say? Magish. Oh, majish. Oh, okay. okay. I'm Yeah. I want to get the part one. It's an down. action. It's an action verb. Um. Pretty cool, right?
0: Yeah, I'm.
1: You want me to see me? I'll do this. Uh, the, that David Blaine levitation. Ready? Okay, hold on.
0: <laughs> watch, watch my feet. Oh. Here's the curious thing. Oh, because... I'm floating. <laughs> Here's the Can curious... you see? Yeah. Sure. Okay, Neil. Here, I'm coming back down. <laughs> Come, nail! Oh. Here's the first thing. He okay, actually, back. He actually did move back as if he was going to do the trick. Mm-hmm. I don't understand.
1: What do you mean? I did. What do you mean no I never did mind. Let's do see the, the trick? Questions. Let's
0: see the question. Question time! Any
1: some any of them words? are barely folded, and some of them are really folded. Does that mean they've been answered before? Yeah, some of
0: them have been answered before. Some of them are pretty shitty. Oh, I, I need to really go through that. I'm going to go year. through this
1: one first. Karaoke? Question mark.
0: You seem like a karaoke man.
1: I hate karaoke. Seriously? Yeah, loathe it.
0: Why? you're a professional. That's why.
1: Weirdly, I sing sometimes for a living. Uh, I don't like karaoke the same way I don't like cabaret shows. Okay. I don't like having to sing out of the context of some kind of story. Okay. I'm just not good at it. And I love people that don't give a shit, and they sing karaoke, and if they're bad, that's awesome. Um, but when I go up, I want to sing well, and I feel like that comes across, and yep. then it's like a performance instead of just a guy singing a song, and it makes me very uncomfortable. Okay. And when people are bad at karaoke, it's awful. <laughs> and then what do you do? Applaud them? Slow clap? Do you do a slow clap? But even if they're delusional, then they think, they, I killed it. Yeah. Even though they killed
0: I'm it. I'm with you, man. I've never karaokeed, and I don't think I will. It scares me. Next question is, favorite cartoon character? Interesting. Huh provocative
1: it is a very provocative question um, of all the things to stump you today this is the one yeah but there's so many different
0: genres let's well, go i feel like yeah you can go like current like is there or or childhood i mean you know do you go I old liked, school uh, who is the guy that
1: goes exit stage left the Hanna barbara cartoon
0: uh snagglepuss i was gonna say that's not mcgill gorilla no nope.
1: I also like the Wonder Twins. Oh, those are good. They were rad, super were and great. they could create anything. Yeah, super a, friends were cool. Form a bucket cool.
0: of water and yeah. a and an eagle. It was always something that had to hold the, the... An ice. Something. <laughs> <laughs> it made no sense. They were actually developing that as a movie uh, years ago. Can you imagine how shitty a Wonder Twins movie would actually be?
1: Who would be in it? I say, what do you got? um, Ashton Kutcher and Kim Kardashian.
0: <laughs> Who's going to play you, by the way, in the adaptation of the book?
1: Uh, oh, that's a really great question. Probably um, Antonio Sabato Jr.
0: I don't want to say anything when, for fear of being mean. When,
1: <laughs> when was the last time I cried? Oh,
0: nice besides this interview.
1: Um well last night I saw the curious incident of the dog Oh, let's see, yeah. in it's a long title. the land. The nighttime. Okay. It's a long title. <laughs> um <laughs> Which everyone should know, because the show is fucking unbelievable. Nice. And I cried in that. But you know when I cry most often? On airplanes.
0: That, there's something about the pressure.
1: Is it the pressure yeah. or the gin? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but the I will America be watching movie. like the Virgin America commercial before right. the movie starts. And I'm like, oh, the girl's saying goodbye to her mom. <laughs> oh, my God. What? There's something about
0: I, there huh? too. I made the mistake of watching. I was like, oh, Terms of Endearment. I haven't watched that in a while. And... That combined oh. with, I mean, I was. That's uh, what you choose in an was airplane. A mess.
1: <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a lot.
0: Been strong. What in,
1: you got? I don't want no? okay. okay.
0: to. You can you can choose your stronger. ender. Close how you wish.
1: Okay. Ooh. <laughs> the best sitcom of all time is.
0: Can't choose your own.
1: Oh. For sure, I like the through choose your own Back into the interview <laughs> by the That's way. It's well played. Are. Do you want laugh tracky sitcom or do you want like just like funny TV show uh, or both?
0: Let's let's do both.
1: I would say uh, Family Ties,
0: solid choice, solid.
1: And I would also say Strangers with Candy,
0: nice, nice,
1: because that is. Hilarious.
0: <laughs> Gone too soon. Yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. We covered a lot. Congratulations on so many things. Thank obviously. you. The Tony. Um, uh, congratulations on Hedwig, which I uh, I hope that you're still like basking in that moment. What, what happened like the day after you finish a run like that?
1: I got to sleep a lot. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple days of total sleep, and then uh, and then we were quickly in wedding mode because yeah. we went straight from there. Uh, we had blocked out a little, a couple weeks, three weeks to do the wedding and the honeymoon, and it was all very secretive, so I couldn't let anyone know. Sure. But I said we were going to taking a much needed trip to Europe. But those were the you know we had lots of clues and puzzles and things within the wedding for the guests, and so they we had to write clues and letters and figure out all kinds of
0: random minutia. So that was
1: it was awesome. spent doing
0: that. So um, and obviously, congrats on, on Gone Girl, which is amazing. I mean, that Fincher can do no wrong.
1: It's like a Hitchcock movie. I never thought I'd ever get to be in a Hitchcock movie directed by David Fincher, of all people. Nice. And to get to do a couple pivotal things that are very technical that
0: was right up my alley so yeah. I loved doing it so much so yes I'm glad you saw it. Good stuff and uh, and of course the book which I can't the highly book. recommend enough it's uh, super fun interesting um, and, uh, and just a good time and I, you know without being too gimmicky it's like you could think for a second like so you want to f- straddle that line right of like having it be a fun reinvention of the form but also.
1: Well fun. also I think I have interesting things to say okay. like I'm a grown man and I <laughs> I think there are there's worth in hearing my story whether it be coming out or whether it be Having kids and that process, because I think a lot of people have questions about those are personal things, right? So I'm only able to really answer them in a sentence or two on a talk show, right. but to be able to go into more depth in the book is great. And then if you you know get bored by that and you want to hear about naughty Barney Stinson, you can. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, it'll make you it'll make you a little um, wistful, yeah, um, maybe uh, a little a little uh, giggly, <laughs> but mostly uh, horny. And I mean what name a book? Great Expectations. Lena Dunhams? <laughs> Not going to get you that there. hit
0: all 3? I don't know. <laughs> Me I don't know. Uh, without endorsement. Uh, Neil, thanks for stopping by. Cheers. Uh.
1: Wolfpop Pop is part of Midroll Media. Executive produced by Adam
0: Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.